I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the author of an important op-ed. My guest this week is Jackie Spinner, a professor and single parent whose three children attend Chicago public schools, but were stuck at home for five days because of a fight over COVID between the teachers' union and the mayor of America's third largest city. Jackie wrote about why better testing, better masks, and in-person learning are so critical for kids. If the past two years have shown anything, it's that we have to learn to live with COVID and the mitigations it requires. Canceling school is not sustainable or responsible. It's exhausting. Last week, the teachers' union voted to move to virtual learning because of Omicron. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that was unacceptable and insisted classrooms stay open. The standoff ended with students returning to school on Wednesday. Teachers agreed to return to their classrooms in exchange for the city expanding testing, enhancing contact tracing efforts, and providing criteria for closing schools with outbreaks. Jackie and I spoke earlier this week about why she believes students need to be in school. Hi, Jackie. Hi, James. It sounds like uh, you're you're pretty busy right now. <laughs> it's a little chaotic. Jackie was a staff writer for The Post from 1995 to 2009. She was our Baghdad bureau chief. Now she's a filmmaker and an associate professor of journalism at Columbia College, Chicago. Jackie acknowledged that school COVID closures are a problem across the country. But the circumstances in Chicago, she told me, really stand out. Chicago is always interesting to people because of our strong unions. And I think one of the things that's most frustrating for me as a parent here in Chicago is that it's a very polarized debate. It's the system versus the teachers. And there's so much nuance that is being lost in that narrative. Let's talk about that nuance because... As you note, I mean, so much of the conversation and the coverage really is, does look at, at this as, as black and white. Your piece seems to blame Chicago city officials and Mary Lori Lightfoot as much, if not more, than the teachers' unions for kids not having any class at all. And this is different than a lot of the takes out there, which put the blame squarely on unions and not administrators. Why do you see it this way? And, and then what motivated you to write a, an op-ed about it? Well, I think that the teachers were ready to go remote uh, until the the cases um, started to fall and until we had a better handle on what we're seeing with Omicron here in Chicago. And what's frustrating to me as a parent is that we haven't even gone remote. And we're still trying to debate whether remote is good or not. Remote is not good. It's not good for anybody. That that ship long sailed, right? And, and I even wrote a piece uh, about uh, early, it was sometime last year, about how remote was working for my autistic son in that he was home and he wasn't having to deal with all the social anxiety that he had at school. But I'm not even having that discussion anymore. I mean, remote didn't, I, he, I homeschooled him last year and I'm ready for him to be back in the classroom if it's safe. And I'm ready to be working again without the distractions of having the kids at home. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to the teachers. Um, I think that there are staff shortages. They want to make sure that things are safe. 
I think that parents have some responsibility. We're not talking about the role parents are playing in this. Parents need to get their kids tested. They need to opt in for the testing and they need to get their kids vaccinated. We have a very low vaccination rate for kids uh, here in Chicago who go to public school and it makes it very, very difficult. On the other hand, more than 90% of the actual staff in Chicago public schools are vaccinated and the schools are giving out N95 masks which are obviously much more effective against Omicron than, than the cloth masks. You write in the piece that teachers in the classrooms should have a reasonable say in what measures are in place. What do you consider reasonable? What do you think is fair for them to ask for? Well, I think it's reasonable to have some sort of metric for when a classroom or a school individually goes remote. Um, I think it's a reasonable request to ask parents to opt out of testing instead of opting in. Um, we know at this point that testing means we're going to catch, you know, things. We're going to catch asymptomatic kids. And so um, to the extent that kids are able to be tested, I think they should be tested. So, you know, I think that is reasonable. You know, look, parents send their kids to school sick. And we've seen that for years, and I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty, you know, having sent my kids to school with coughs and colds because I didn't want to have to deal with the childcare issue if I kept them at home, and that was wrong. And going forward, I'm not sending a child to school with anything that resembles a cold, a cold system, and I'm just going to deal with it because I, I, I see now the responsibility I have as a, as a parent to keep the community safe. So I think teachers are reasonable in asking for that. You're the daughter of a school teacher and also a teacher yourself, an associate professor at Columbia College Chicago. You're in this unique position of both teaching and parenting over the past two years. Can you talk about what that experience has been like? Well, I, I enjoy teaching third grade math more than I expected. <laughs> but here we are in 2022. I'm not interested in teaching fourth grade math. <laughs> so... You know, I, I, I've been lucky and I know the privilege that I have as a college professor in that I'm able to pivot my classes online if I need to. And it's very, very difficult to find childcare in the middle of pandemic. That has not changed. And so I have to teach online because my kids aren't in school. So, you know, that is challenging for me. But I also recognize the privilege in which I have been able to ride out this pandemic as a professor. I'm not an essential worker. I'm not a nurse. I'm not on a front line. I'm not working in a grocery store. I'm not driving a truck. You know, I'm not picking up, up garbage. I'm not doing a lot of the things that other parents have had to do while also trying to figure out what to do with their kids. So it has given me a unique perspective. And I think, you know, people argue with me about this, but, you know, teaching remote is really, really hard. It's not what I prefer. And I know it's not what my kids' teachers prefer. Nobody wants to teach remote. It's miserable. It's miserable for me to try to get my adult students' attention on Zoom. I, I, I've seen how hard it is for the teachers and my kids to get second graders and first graders and kindergartners, which is when we first went remote for my, for my middle son. It's hard. It's hard to teach online. Nobody wants this. You have an anecdote uh, toward the end of your op-ed about trying to plan a school day for your kids and then kind of basically giving up <laughs> because it was also exhausting. Can you talk about just how hard it is, even as someone who's as equipped as you are to plan for three kids, being home without school? Just, I think people kind of get it instinctually, but talk about that. Well, I think it was, it's hard for me to have any 
bandwidth to think about my own work when the kids need me and they need me, right? I have a three-year-old who goes to preschool with his brothers at our neighborhood public school. It is not easy to teach preschool. <laughs> it is not something I had ever aspired to do, right? I mean, it's different when I work with my kids at home and when I actually have to formally teach my son. And when I have them all around the table and they're, you know, one is being noisy and my autistic son needs it to be quiet and he's trying to stay on task. And, you know, my second grader is complaining about math. I gave him too many problems. He only wanted, he just complained through the whole thing. I mean, it's very hard to prepare for me to teach class and to do my work when I'm also trying to do that. Now I'm gonna do it. And again, I understand the privilege in which I can do it. I'm an educator. I'm reasonably good at educating, although this is not the, the subset of students that I'm used to. I enjoy teaching my kids. I actually really enjoy it, but I can't get anything else done when they're home. I was on a video call with my department chair talking about this upcoming semester last week and my toddler walked in without pants on. <laughs> and then, you know, my nine-year-old walked in singing Frozen songs. I mean, it was just, it was not the ideal situation to be having conversation with your boss. You mentioned now twice your nine-year-old who is autistic. Can you describe what happened last week when he learned that his routine might be disrupted again, just coming out of winter break? Well, he came out of the building and I knew something was wrong because he was he was sobbing, he was crying, and I was I, I I knew something had happened. It's not typically how he comes out of the building. And um he was just so dysregulated. And I was I, I, he couldn't even tell me what was wrong. When he went back to school after being out for basically a year and a half at the beginning of the school year. We had all sorts of supports in place for him. He wouldn't even go into the building with the rest of his classmates. It was so overstimulating. He had to go in early. And over the months, um, he started to go in with his class and come out with his class. And then he would walk down the street to find me, which was a lot of independence for him to have. And so he he came out of the building crying and he just started running home. And as he 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 ran, he was discarding his belongings, you know, first his his mittens and and his backpack and his water bottle. He's just chucking things as he ran as I'm racing after him with my seven-year-old and my three-year-old trying to keep up with him to make sure he crossed the, the street safely. And when I was finally able to talk to his teacher and ask what had happened, she said that they had asked the kids to gather up their belongings that they usually had at school and take them home in case they had to go remote. And he was just so distressed about the fact that his routine was going to be disrupted again. We'll be right back after a short break. You mentioned the low uptake rate for vaccination in Chicago. Uh, among public school students. And you know, there's a couple things that, that strike me about that. Our public health columnist, Lena Wen, has been adamant that Omicron is not a reason to keep schools closed. And she cited just kind of this growing volume of evidence about limited risk to kids who are vaccinated. And there's a new report out from the New York State Department of Health that shows that the hospitalization rate there for vaccinated school-aged kids during the very peak of Omicron was only two to three per million. You know, two per million how do we deal with this? Do we need vaccine mandates for kids? Well, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble <laughs> <laughs> if, if I say that. Um, 
I don't know. Um, I can tell you that on Monday after winter break, I sent my kids to school. I sent them to school vaccinated and I sent them to school without an awful lot of worry about them getting sick. But also I am a parent of an autistic child, one in 58, right? So in my house, we deal with possibility instead of probability. And while I know that the probability is low, Uh, for vaccinated kids um, to get really, really sick. I have a three-year-old who isn't eligible to be vaccinated. So the precautions that we're taking in our house, we're taking for him because I don't know what his response would be to the virus. We have kids in the neighborhood who have COVID and they're not hospitalized, but they're also not just a little sick. They're running pretty high fevers and they're, they're fairly miserable. I don't even want that for my kids. And I'm okay with not wanting that, my kids to even have run a high fever for a couple of days. So I think parents need to get their kids vaccinated. I think it's it's really on parents to make sure that they, they test their kids, that they're taking precautions, that their kids are masked, um, that they're not in crowded places or doing indoor dining um, to the extent right now that we know, you know would help keep people safe. Parents have some responsibility in this, too. There's this growing sense uh, that maybe we just need to accept that we're all going to get this at some point. Do you subscribe to that view? And is that the view of other parents in your support network, that it is just a matter of time before all of our kids are going to get COVID? Yeah, I think we're resigned that, you know, because this is so contagious, um, that eventually it's going to come for all of us. I'm surprised it hasn't um, come for my family yet. But I also know how disruptive it would be if somebody in my house gets sick with COVID, our house shuts down. I can't go to work. My kids can't go to school. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons I don't want our family to get COVID. I mean, I'm a single parent. I have a hard time parenting when I have a raging headache. So I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be sick and trying to care for my kids. I don't want to be having to isolate, you know, one of the kids in my house. I mean, my autistic son, if he got COVID, would not understand that he had to wear a mask in the house and he had to stay away from his brothers. So I've sort of kind of told myself that if somebody in our house does get COVID, we're just going to have to live with it. There's not going to be any isolating. There's not going to be any mask wearing because I just can't do that as a single parent. I don't have the luxury to do that. You've been talking about testing and parents having responsibility to get tests. Are tests widely available in Chicago right now? Is it How, how hard is it to get tests for your kids? You know, it's not difficult. Um, it's it, like many places around the country, it's hard to find um, the, you know, the at-home tests. I was able to test my three-year-old's um, a PCR test over the winter break because he had a runny nose and we were on, a, on our way to see his grandmother and I wanted to make sure he wasn't sick before we went to see her. And so it was really, really easy for me to get a PCR um, test for him just a couple of weeks ago. There are PCR tests available. The return time is pretty slow because the labs are overwhelmed, but we're not having nearly the problems with, with testing in Chicago right now that uh, other parts of the country are having. I wanted to get your reaction to the the most favorited of the 1,100 comments on your op-ed, which is that the teachers at your son's school, this is what this person said, are paid to teach him. They're not there to babysit during a crisis. They're not paid nearly enough to risk their lives so that kids can keep their schedules. There is this frustration among the teaching community, and you express some sympathy for their point of view. Obviously, there are some staff shortaging issues, but what, what do you say to 
to that kind of pushback to concerned parents? Well, first of all, I, I was really surprised at the number of people who commented or who reached out to me independently to email me um, who thought that I was being overly critical of teachers. Um, I'm generally very supportive of teachers. If my son's teachers say that the classroom is not safe for them or for the kids, I trust that they are right. I mean, my my son's teachers want to work and they are staying engaged. And so I, I was I was surprised, frankly, that people thought it was an anti-teacher piece. <laughs> but <laughs> as a as, as a former reporter, you know, people often just read the headline. No, they do. The, and, or the top. And, well, I mean, look, there was a reason Fox <laughs> News invited me on. They thought I was going to, you know, come out against the teachers too. But you know, but 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 I think it also shows that there's just no room in this discussion for nuance. What's surprising to me is how teachers are being demonized in this debate. I mean, teachers have shown up for work. Teachers have, you know, come into the classroom. They have they have tried to make this work. I mean, I have seen all the efforts that they've made um, on behalf of my kids. Yeah. One of whom is asking me a question right now. What what do you need? Okay, can you wait? Can you shut my door and wait? You can go play with her. Yes, you can go play with her. Wear your mask. Shut the door, please. Sorry about that. <laughs> the the odds were with us. I was going to be interrupted at least once. And at least <laughs> he had pants on, so <laughs> well, that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll take what we can get. Uh, Jackie, that's that's all I've got. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about this this important piece. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Mayor Lightfoot was asked when she announced her deal with the teachers' union who won and who lost. No one wins when our students are out of the place where they can learn the best and where they're safest. Jesse Sharkey, the teachers' union president, said nearly two-thirds of the union's House of Delegates voted to return to the classroom. Across America, the vast majority of districts are now operating in person. But last week, about 5,400 schools were disrupted at some point. That's the highest total this calendar year, but it's still a small fraction of about 100,000 public schools in the United States. Please Go On is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, with editing from Allison Michaels, Michael Duffy, and Renita Jablonski. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. The show notes include a link to Jackie's op-ed. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. I'm James Holman, and I'll be back next week with another episode because there's always more to say. <laughs>